This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Holy Spirit, we cannot pray without your aid. Help us to approach the Father in spirit and in truth, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Prayer is simple, prayer is supernatural, and to anyone not related to our Lord Jesus Christ, prayer is apt to look stupid. So says Oswald Chambers, the author of the daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. In a culture that values action and self-reliance, prayer looks stupid. Yet for those in relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, Prayer is our essential spiritual connection to God. Today's reading from Romans is among my favorite passages on prayer. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In prayer, the pressure's off. The weight of saying the right words or of having well-formed thoughts or praying with the purest of motives is lifted. In this text, there are three ways God encourages us in prayer. First, God is with us. God the Holy Spirit is with us in our weakness. Being seen as strong, capable, successful, independent are prized in our culture. Weakness, limitation, imperfection, and failure are not. Yet in God's economy, these values are turned upside down. God is with us in our weakness. He doesn't disregard dismiss or disown us. Rather, in love, he draws us near. God is with us in our anxiety, pain, loneliness, grief, anger, helplessness, suffering. He has not left us alone. God is with us and sustains us in our weakness. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, is the Lord and giver of life. The Holy Spirit gives us life, gives us spiritual life, gives us born a new life. In this new spirit life, God's power is present. Just a few verses before today's text, St. Paul writes, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwelling within enables each of us to be changed into the likeness of Christ. God is with us working inside our hearts to change us from the inside out. A friend of mine, is fond of saying this, the Spirit's work is an inside job. 
Without this inner renewal of our fallen nature, prayer becomes a nearly impossible task. Author James Houston writes, human prayers are not enough. We need the Holy Spirit to transform our humanity and enable us to pray as God intended. Which brings me to the second point. Not only is God with us, God helps us. Indeed, God helps us pray. Paul writes in verse 26, we don't know how to pray as we ought. How painfully true this is. Left on our own, we pray in ignorance. We can't see the future. I can't see the future. And while we may think that we know what's best for ourselves or best for another, it may not be God's will. As Paul writes elsewhere, we see through a glass dimly. How many times have we prayed for things that later we discover were not answered because they were not actually in accordance with God's plan? Our prayer book has a prayer that recognizes this reality. I love this prayer. It's titled, For the Acceptance of Prayer. Here's part of it. Accept and fulfill our petitions, we pray, not as we ask in our ignorance, nor as we deserve in our sinfulness, but as you know and love us in your Son, Jesus Christ. That's a prayer. God, the Holy Spirit, helps us pray. And let's face it, we need all the help we can get. When faced with all the suffering we see and all the suffering we experience, how are we supposed to pray? How are we supposed to pray for the brokenness in our individual lives, for the hurt, the anger, the sorrow, the disordered affections and unhealthy attachments? How are we to pray for our families and communities with all the sickness, addiction, violence, racial injustice, warp systems? How are we to pray for our nation, our world, the polarization, the oppression, the abuses of power? It's too much for our humanity to bear. In our ignorance, we're not certain if we should be praying to be released from the suffering or if we should be asking for the strength to endure it. Because we live in the gospel tension of already, not yet, it's not possible to pray as we ought. While we already are made right before God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we have not yet fully realized the completion of our redemption. The heart and the mind of Christ have not been perfected within us, so we live in this tension. Paul laments this when he writes a few verses back. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans, we groan, the Holy Spirit groans. The children's groans and sighs during the children's talk gave voice to lament. They didn't use words, but we understood their meaning. We understood their sad, disappointed, angry, even whiny expressions. 
how much more will God the Father understand the groans and sighs of the Holy Spirit, which are too deep for words? Scholars suggest a more accurate translation of the word groan or sigh to be wordless. In his commentary, John Stott writes, the point Paul is making is not that the groans of the Spirit cannot be put into words, but the fact that they are not. They are unexpressed rather than inexpressible. These are agonized longings for final redemption and the consummation of all things. This is prayer, wordless lament, speechless groans, unutterable sighs that express the longings for all things to be put right. This counts. This counts as prayer. Paul continues, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us praying on our behalf in such a way that conforms to the will of God. When God searches the heart, it's not as a supervisor evaluating the quality of our thoughts or as an examiner checking to see if they measure up. Instead, the Lord searches for the prayer of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's prayer always aligns with the will of the Father. In the midst of longing and suffering, Paul offers sustaining hope. God is with us, God helps us pray, and finally, God is for us. In verse 31, Paul writes, if God is for us, who is against us? It's like he's saying, since God is for us, who is against us? And the answer is a resounding, no one. God has placed us by his side, under his wing, on his team. We can be sure God is for us because God has given us his pearl of great price, his most valuable treasure. He gave us Jesus. The proof of God's love, the proof of God's love for us is that he did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. God is for us. This doesn't mean, however, that God is on our side. Rather, it means we are at God's side. If we mistakenly think that God is on our side, on our team, we're likely walking down the wrong path. We run the risk of reducing the Lord of creation to a cosmic gift giver, dispensing and granting favors that suit our agenda. We suppress a laugh when people speak of God being on the side of their sports team. We know that's ridiculous. But it's less humorous when we hear God is on my side in relation to political issues or in relationships and so on. God is for us. We are at his side. God welcomes us as adopted children into his large, extended, diverse family. 
God's family is not monochromatic. It encompasses every tribe and nation, every race, every language. One way that we affirm that we are on God's side is through our baptismal vows. Last week, we renewed our baptismal vows when we baptized the three children here. Together, we renounce the devil and declare that we turn to Christ and we put our trust in Jesus. This is a significant way we commit to being at God's side. When terrible things happen around us or to us, we might be tempted to think that God is against us. We might doubt God's goodness, especially if we thought that he was on our side. The work of the enemy is to sow those seeds of doubt, luring us away from the love of God and from his side. But God has given us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, who prays for us and sustains us. Paul writes, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. God is for us and has provided us with two intercessors. Do you know who they are? First, Jesus, who prays for us in heaven, and second, the Holy Spirit, who is praying within us here on earth. We're covered, heaven and earth. Sure, prayer may look stupid to those who are not related to Jesus, but to those who are, prayer is an amazing gift. Our small but significant work of prayer empowered by the Holy Spirit is an effective means of advancing God's kingdom. In our gospel today, Jesus told parables about the kingdom of God. I wonder, because of the seemingly smallness and hiddenness of prayer, could it be likened to a mustard seed or a bit of yeast? These are outwardly tiny and insignificant things, just like prayer is outwardly little and insignificant, yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, prayer is able to change so many things and change our world. When I think of small acts of prayer turning into something great, I think of my friend Gloria. What broke her heart were the abandoned, orphaned children in her village. Prayer moved her to action. Today, she has a flourishing and enormous household of adopted children in Jos, Nigeria. In our Easter video, which is still on YouTube, you can see it, you'll see these children greeting us. The children of Gloria and Archbishop Ben Kwashi adopted into their family, and there are scores of them. I think, too, of the faithful prayers of the Ascension men and women before us whose hearts were broken over the lack of children in the parish. Their lament was for the next generation, so they prayed for children when there were none. Now. So many babies and children 
scores of them. Today, teams of people from Ascension gather weekly on Zoom to pray for our children and our youth, for our healthcare workers, for peace, justice, and racial reconciliation. Only God knows what the fruit of these prayers might be. While we don't always see the results of our prayers, that shouldn't stop us from praying. We pray in faith, waiting for God to make all things new. Many prayers have been said for rocky marriages, for loved ones who are sick, for wayward family and friends to turn to Jesus. But marriages fail, engagements are broken, dreams are shattered. The sick die. We don't see the prodigal's return. We might be tempted to give up on prayer, but don't. Here's why. The outcome of prayer is not ours to determine. It's not ours to control. Besides, Jesus himself taught us to pray always and to not lose heart. Don't give up. Instead, invite the Holy Spirit within to pray, remembering that God is with us, God helps us, and God is for us. What's the lament of your heart today? What prayer might the Holy Spirit want to be praying within your heart? In this pandemic, perhaps it will be for the sick, the lonely, the anxious, the discouraged, or the unemployed. In the midst of social unrest and hostility, maybe it will be for justice for the oppressed, for racial reconciliation. When you ask the Lord to pray in your heart, pay attention. Pay attention to who is brought across your path, into your neighborhood, and maybe even into your home. God's kingdom is near. God is with us. God helps us pray. God is for us. Amen.